guys. Welcome to the seventh and a half podcast episode. You know, we did this a little bit earlier when SpaceX did their launch. So we have um, Joey and Luke back to finish our conversation from last time. So Joey, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well. Enjoying the weather here in Dayton. I'm moving up to Columbus, like first of my two-part move today. So I'm kind of putting one foot here in Dayton, one foot in Columbus. Just kind of enjoying my last week at home before I head back. Very nice. And Luke, how are you doing today? I think we're right. Luke is experiencing some technical difficulties. But... Oh, I'm sorry. Can you hear me? <laughs> <Is this> okay? <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought you were going to say something, Trevor. Um, oh, no, you're good. I'm doing well. I'm ready to move back in. I, I moved into a new apartment a couple of days ago. I still have one more load of stuff to take from my parents' house in Cleveland, and then I'll be all moved in in Columbus. But I got a vacation coming up here going on the Appalachian Trail, which will be fun. Um, but, you know, after a week and a half, I'll be back thinking about rockets for another four or five months at a time. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. Awesome. All right, let's dive into the first type of question. I know, Joey, you were able to see the launch. What was it like? I know we talked about earlier when I got scrubbed, but what was it like when you could see the Falcon 9 actually lift off with people on board? What was the excitement or the emotion behind that launch for you? So that launch, uh, I think it was because I'd been through a little bit before. I didn't feel quite as much of the excitement. There was still nervous energy about whether or not it would actually launch. Probably the wildest experience was just seeing how many more people were out there that day. Because like my dad and I, we drove, we were driving basically the edge of Florida and we pulled off on the side of the road and then started walking up to the, almost like the beach area where there was a big crowd of people and there was just cars lining the streets. People just like a mass of people out there. Probably not the best idea during a pandemic, but it was really neat, neat to see. And then when we actually got to see the launch start go off, I remember actually I had binoculars and I came better prepared. It was just really cool to actually see it in person, to see the boosters ignite. I was able to count the boosters as it soared into the sky. It was neat. I definitely, I'll, be, I'll admit, I was actually a little bit more, a little bit more excited when I saw the Perseverance launch, but that SpaceX launch was really something to see in person. Nice. And Luke, I know you probably watched it from the television. What was the television experience like or the YouTube experience? Because, you know, most people try to live stream it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, there was my the whole thing was a roller coaster considering it got scrapped. So I was I spent basically all day. I forget when the, the first launch was. I want to say it was Wednesday. When it got scrapped, yep. I spent the whole entire morning just waiting and waiting. I watched all of the preview and then Saturday came around and I just wanted to mute everyone on the channel and just wait for the rocket to launch. I was not interested in what anyone had to say because it, I just wanted to see the rocket go up. But when it finally happened, it was really bizarre to think that people were actually strapped to it because I had never seen the space shuttle once as a kid. So... That was my first time seeing astronauts launch into space. Um, I've never watched a Soyuz launch. I don't know if you can, but it, it was really interesting. One thing that was really difficult for me to grasp was trying to figure out what the emotions of everyone was from the television because I think you hear uh, some of the commentators speak and they speak so stoically that, I don't know, you kind of 
almost get detached from the reality of the situation. But it, it was bizarre for me, honestly. It was I was so excited and so thrilled to see that everything went well that I was just caught off guard. I didn't really know what was going on. But I was all I could think about was that two people strapped to a rocket and they were in space, and that blew my mind. I enjoyed the whole thing very thoroughly. So it was a good experience. That's fantastic. Like I had the same thing, like what happened on Wednesday when it got scrubbed, I was like saying, Oh man, I lost an entire day waiting for a rocket that didn't launch. And then yeah, right? like when that Saturday came around, I was like saying, I just want to see this thing lift off, see it being successful and leaving from that launch tower would be like saying, all right, this mission's a go. Everything's going great. And then I was able to fast forward probably like maybe like the next day, because it was like a 19-hour wait to, before they get to the International Space Station, I was able to see them dock. And it was like really, yeah. really cool seeing a capsule dock with actual people on board. So that was fantastic to see. Yeah, I was really nervous when they were opening the hatch. I don't know why, but for some reason that really freaked me out. I, I couldn't imagine if, if you're safe in orbit in this tiny little capsule and then you're opening your hatch because an automated system docked the space station. You're putting so much trust in the engineers. That's, that's a lot of bravery. It's a lot of bravery. Yeah. So now we're going to look at the end of the mission. When Falcon, uh, not Falcon, nah. when Dragon actually returned back in the Earth atmosphere, what were some of your emotions going through? So Joey, what was your thoughts when you saw it starting to descent into, I guess, the Earth's atmosphere? So I'll say that I'm I'm really bad about keeping up with this sort of stuff. So I actually didn't I didn't pay too much attention when I saw it landing because I actually first thought they were going to be up there for a while because I know they do like I think about six months stints and they sort of overlap so that like one crew will come on as another one's about to leave and they'll kind of hang out there for about a month together and then they'll leave. But when I saw it come down, I was just like, oh, it fully made it because that was honestly I think for me the scarier part was the reentry. I think going up, I think I, it was so nerve wracking, but once it was up in the air, just like the fact that, okay, are they actually going to be able to make it down and to really complete the process? Cause we, they gotten so far. And if it, some, if something horrible happened, it would just scare, it would just be, it'd be awful. But I was so glad to see that they're able to make it back down, splash down in just the classic Apollo fashion. And Luke, what about you? What were some of your thoughts going through that whole process as the capsule was returning? I was most interested – I was trying to picture myself sitting inside the capsule and really feeling how many G-forces they were experiencing. I, I'm with Joey. I was I was pretty nervous, um, especially because I've had so many times in Kerbal where my heat shield just blows up. And, uh, you know, Jebediah, he unfortunately doesn't make the entire mission. But the heat shield – almost – I. I don't know if you guys saw it, but they did have a camera where you could actually see the capsule coming in through the atmosphere. Granted, it wasn't a very good image, but you could see, you know, all the heat flow, all the flow moving around the capsule. I thought that was really interesting, but I couldn't imagine being sitting in there and how fast you're moving. I mean, they're moving a couple hundred miles an hour, I would assume. I didn't look at all the metrics, but it looked pretty looked like a really scary roller coaster is what it looked like. And then the drogue shoots came out, and I, I was very relieved, very relieved that everything worked. 
me at the time, I was at the furniture store helping my mom pick out some furniture for her new place in Philadelphia. So I was watching it on my phone. I'm like saying, ooh, going back and forth and trying to not kill my phone battery. But like when you saw the parachutes actually like deploy, it was like amazing. And it just felt like our own, when our own rocket recovers. So it's like you're seeing the same things that we end up doing for the club actually be applied to real life. It's just so fascinating and so yeah. intriguing. But when you see that the capsule actually splashed down, you know the mission was complete from start to finish because there could be very few errors left besides the capsule door not opening. But besides that, I don't think that was a huge concern for people. But I think getting through that Earth re-entry and that, I think like the blackout zone, I think was probably the most nerve-wracking part because we all heard stories about the blackout zone, how dangerous it can be. And like mission control would, you know, keep doing call signs until you get a response. So I think once you got that response, it's that the sigh of relief and going, ah, we're here, we made it, the astronauts are okay. And let's, you know, celebrate almost. But you know, the mission wasn't truly done until you actually recover them and actually bring them back home. Yeah. But I know just recently at the end of July, um, I think NASA ended up launching another rover to Mars. So I know I know our president was able to be there, but he's not on this you know podcast episode. Try to get him on, but his schedules got a little bit busy. But seeing the pictures he ended up posting on Slack, it showed that the launch was still exciting. People still attended to it, but. My question is, what was a little bit different about that launch compared to the Bob and Doug launch? And Joey, what, what did you think about it? If you were able to see it or based on the pictures on Slack? So I, yeah, I saw the, I saw that they were going to launch, I think the day before. So I think I might text that in chat. And then I remember waking up the next morning early just to kind of catch that. So that launch wasn't, it wasn't anything too different from the first launch, but for me, what really made me excited because I know how long those Mars rovers can last and how much work they can do. Like as great as Bob and Doug's launch was, it was more so a proof of concept for like SpaceX and a big, very, it's a very big publicity moment. But I think that Perseverance rover, rover excited me a lot more because I knew that that could really do some work up there. And that's going to last there for a long time, helping us gather data on Mars and maybe probably helping to pave the way for really seeing hey, can we actually build something there? Could we actually survive there? I would say the Perseverance launch, just in terms of like the scientific achievement, that really excited me a lot more than proving that the Falcon 9 was able to take people up and down as great, even as incredible as that is, especially with a reusable booster. Yeah. And Luke, what about you? I did not watch the Perseverance launch. Uh, I had some things going on, but... I, I kind of with Joey here, I think actually sending some science up is pretty interesting. Um, I, I Maybe I'm not with Joey. I, I actually think that it was more fun for me, at least, to watch the people go up, um, the astronauts go up to the space station, just because I had never seen anything like it before. And, and I couldn't imagine people actually being on the rocket. But I was relieved to see that something new was going to happen on a planet that is not Earth. I think, I think the fact that we're even sitting here talking about a rover going on Mars is absolutely nuts. I can't, yeah, I don't even have really words to say. I mean, I'm sitting here looking out my window and looking at a tree, and then there's, I don't know, how far away is Mars? 
couple uh, many miles. miles. <laughs> 70 long. million miles, I think. <laughs> yeah, 70 million miles away, there's a bunch of other rocks on a different planet. I just, I think it's, I think it's nuts. And then that rover will go around and he's going to take some samples or what's up? Uh, yeah. You know, take some samples, look, get some pictures. I, I think the whole thing's just beyond me and I can't really describe it, honestly. Yeah. Um, we are currently 56.569 million miles from Mars at the moment. There you go. Boom. Facts right there. Straight facts. <laughs> um, but like thinking about this launch, it shows a lot of progress that you do in the shorter time span between the Bob and Doug launch and getting ready for another launch within a span less than a month almost. So it's just like it shows you how fast we can actually like launch things up if need be. So that's nice to see. But I have to agree, like sending up a rover is like extremely like costly and if something goes wrong you lose that rover you don't get that back same with human lives but like for a rover you can always replace it but like that capital you end up losing is not the same of like losing human lives you can't replace human lives so like there's a lot of stress in both launches but you just have to i think figure out what do you end up value more i think obviously human life values tremendously and that's why we keep sending rovers to other planets or other parts of the solar system or probes to understand what that would be because just imagine if you lose human life how much backlash a space program could be and that could force them to go to bankruptcy because of it but any final thoughts on the spacex yeah. launch i would actually say one thing i know luke you talked a little bit about this but just like i think one of the one of the poor things that we do as like engineers is that i think sometimes it's hard for us maybe to sit back and appreciate kind of the human inspiration. I think it's one thing that's about space that is so cool is that's one of the few engineering fields where it's so, it's much more common to feel that source of that strike of inspiration, that awe in what you're mm -hmm. able to do. Almost the more emotion and the artistic side of what we do versus something more, maybe like if you're working in the military or if you're working um, just more a general corporate consulting job or some of some kind, it's hard to maybe see that, the emotions and the, that side of it. That's one thing like, even as an engineer, I'm really coming to really appreciate my artistic side just because it allows me to sometimes express myself and understand to really appreciate more of what I do and then my job because I'm like, wow, I can actually, if I look, yeah. if I find that inspirational side of it, it makes the job so much more enjoyable. It allows me to really not only just be like, wow, that was neat to actually say like, wow, that was truly an incredible thing to be a part of. Yeah, I think with how widespread or how available all these launches are and how well the media team has done to spread news about them. There's going to be a lot of children too who get very interested in space and want to possibly pursue careers in space. And maybe maybe not even children. I mean, I, I'm a good example of someone who just wanted to switch career paths just because I, I finally found something that I connected with. And I, I totally agree with you, Johnny. Totally all right, so the next topic, we're just going to stick with Mars for a little bit more. But the real question is, what happens if this Mars rover ends up finding life? What does this actually mean? And, like, how will it shape the rest of, I guess, human history and space exploration in that matter? And, Joey, I'll start with you. I, I think that's going to be, if, if we do find launch, it's life out there, it's going to take me a while to, like, really let that sink in and understand the magnitude. Because, like, 
it, sh it really would fundamentally change how we think of ourselves in the universe because we know, hey, there's something more out there. At the bare minimum, there's the potential for something more out there. So I would just think if we, if we were able to find life or some sort of evidence of past life, we could be, it would really be, it would really make us start to question, to think like, huh, there's a, there's really is a bigger, there's a bigger world, bigger universe out there for us to explore and to hopefully one day be a part of. And I, I, I honestly don't know if we're ready for that. It's just because it's such a, it's such a monumental thing to really start to really consider on a serious level. And we've thought about it before, but we've, we've never had the conclusive proof beyond just the likely, likely probability that this, just with the vastness of the years, there has to be life somewhere. This would be actual physical evidence that there is potential for life. And Luke, what about your, some of your thoughts on that? I'm almost in agreement with Joey, except I would go a step further and say, I think if, if life was found, I, I would think that it might not even be broadcasted to the public right away. I think that would be a discovery that so many people would honestly say BS to that the researchers and scientists involved with the project would have to have such definitive proof that's airtight. I, I don't even know if you could possibly say with confidence that life was found. Well, convince people that life was found unless you were able to bring it back on earth and do even further studies. So that means if they get those samples, however they, if the Rover gets some samples and, you know, just keeps it on the chassis the entire time until the Rover makes it back one, one way or another, I think I, I would be surprised to see if a claim was made that life was found. I would be surprised. Because like that almost segues in a little bit into the next question. If you bring the sample back, I would be a little bit worried for them to bring the sample back because we don't know how it would behave in a different environment than it actually is. And because like, for example, it could be such so small, like microscopic, but it gets into a certain environment where it could flourish. That could be like very chaotic, bring it back into the Earth's atmosphere. And it could just start to grow and start to actually like, the cells will start to like grow and attach to each other. And then you just could have like a blob and we don't know yeah. what this blob could actually do. So it's a little worrying, but at the same time, like once you get the Artemis project underway, you could just keep it on the surface of the moon if you wanted to, to make sure nothing gets out of hand and more of like Planetary a control environment. Species. What were you well, saying, I, Joe? Go, yeah, go ahead, It'd Joe. be a planetary invasive species, not even just like cross continental. <laughs> cross-planetary i i don't think they would risk bringing this the the sample back unless they had some sort of redundancy otherwise i find it way too risky why not just see if you can create a stable environment within a tube or a, a test tube that is or maybe if you find an area that has a dense amount of life uh maybe just go back and forth and check it every now and again. I'm not sure. I would just, it's going to be, I think, hard to convince a lot of people that life has been found, which is unfortunate because I think sh people should be a little bit more excited. And even if you are to let, get let down, at least you're trying and you're a bit more optimistic that science is as powerful as I believe it is. But 
I, I'm, I don't know. I think, again, I, when we talk about things like this, I just find it bizarre that we're going to another planet and we're, f- we're looking for life. It's incredible. I, I would agree more. That, yeah. I would, I don't know if they'd bring it back yet. I think, yeah, the moon would probably be a good environment. Um, trying to keep it isolated. I could see, I could see with enough understanding and enough working time working with it, they might feel safe bringing it back. Cause I know that's one thing they had fear with the astronauts of like Apollo 11 is once they came back from the moon, they were quarantined for a, a long time just because the original quarantine, they had to make sure that they weren't, they didn't bring back any moon germs or anything or like a moon disease. Yeah. So they had to be careful to make sure they were all safe. And luckily they were, they were completely fine, but maybe like working out yeah, like on the moon, if we, if the Artemis project really gets going or maybe working with it in the ISS, could we maybe see some sort of space horror movie? Hopefully not, but that would kind of be awesome. I kind of like that idea. And also no, I don't know space horror movie with mars germs that <laughs> into a giant monster it'd be the new covid basically in space <laughs> the new COVID. yeah for all you know that horror movie could be a documentary that could be real life oh man you never know there could be a monster underneath the crust of mars we have to the astronauts have to be quarantined <laughs> suddenly the iss is no longer the only island away it's the island of there you go <laughs> it's like an like, I, it would be fun. Like, it would be fun to see it, but at the same time, if it becomes hostile and becomes aggressive, that's when it just, that's when things just fall apart and you just can't recover. Like, you would lose the ISS and it would just become the ISS. They would probably have to push it out of orbit and have it crash, burn up in the atmosphere. I don't even know if they do that. They might try to just push out in space. I feel like they would it. push it out, yeah. At the same time, all it takes for it to hit one control panel to send it one way to descend into the earth's atmosphere and it's just like oh boy oh boy so let's hope there's no alien invasion via microscopic life on the iss i think that actually did happen to another space station i think it was like the russians like some bacteria got out and just took over the space station and they had to abandon it Well, you guys, you guys know there's there's aliens at Area Fifty One, right? Oh yeah. Wasn't the race successful? <laughs> Didn't we get what we wanted? No, no, no. What actually happened was they got there, and the government made holograms of them leaving, and then they just kidnapped everyone who was there. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> they came back home looking normal. They were just robots, robots with rubber skin. All right, I'll, All right. I'll, I'll, br- I'll bring the next question. So yeah, obviously me. we have two basically projects that are going on in reality. So going to, to the moon with Artemis and then the f- future of going to Mars and living there. Where would you guys rather go? Going to the moon or going to the Mars? Joey, I'll start with you. There's uh, a big old fat question there, which is can I get home? And like, with Mar- especially with Mars, um, I don't know. I think I initially want to say the moon just because it's the classic destination and I, I know I could probably get home, but Mars really is. It's sort of like going to the new world during like the age of exploration for Europe. That was like, they didn't know if they, a lot of them knew they probably weren't going to return ever to the old worlds. So that was, they were going to try to make a new life there. And that would sort of be like it with Mars, just even more extreme. But 
also, I mean, there's obviously the it's a it's a fat commute going to Mars, but I think if I really if I really felt the circumstances right, I think Mars would be the big goal just because it represents really moving to a new planet and really becoming an interplanetary species rather than just a, a single a single planet species. Yeah. And Luke, what about you? The moon, 100%. 100%. The commute's shorter. Uh, we've done it before. There's some experience. I think if I were to do it in my lifetime, I would probably uh, have the chance to help build the lunar base. So I think that would be neat. Whereas Mars, I would be going there strictly for get a sample or two, maybe stay there for, I don't, I don't know what the plan is. I would think actually if they're making a trip to Mars eventually that they would plan to stay longer, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I just think I would go to the moon. It's safer objectively. I just think, I, I, I think, yeah, I'll, I want to be an astronaut by all means. Don't get me wrong, but I think I'll leave that maybe to a different astronaut. <laughs> I don't right. think I'm ready to go to Mars at all. Um, what is the trip to the moon? Three days? If yes, that? three days. Round trip would be six days. Yeah. Yeah. Sign me up for that. That's like I go for a little two, three week vacation to the moon, travel there, hang out, go to the beach, and then travel back. Lunar Beach. All right, guys. We're going to start marketing <laughs> and selling it to people. Come on down to Lunar Beach, guys. Come on. I wonder what swimming would feel like. If you were to put a swimming pool on the moon, mm -hmm. I wonder what it would feel like. It probably would be hard to like keep the thing contained. Like it would almost need to be a sphere because otherwise the water would just sort of it would float up, slowly float back down, but it would probably just end up outside of the pool just because gravity's not strong yeah. enough that well like, down. Think about it, you're jumping up like a cannonball, and you're just gonna float and actually like take forever to land back down. <laughs> So if you got a big enough sphere of water and it had no boundary to help it contain, it was self-contained, that means it, the, spe the sphere could move. It could orbit. The sphere of water could orbit the moon, maybe. And you could swim inside the sphere. That sounds like an amusement park idea for sure that I am definitely going to copyright. How would you get... That thing would be crazy to get into orbit. You're just like... Are, they'd have to send up a ship and then like halfway have it just shoot out water <laughs> at exact right speed. The super soaker mission. Yeah, there you go. We came up with a great mission idea, guys. I love it. Fantastic. Uh, for me, um, it's very difficult to choose. Though the moon is great and all, but like at a certain point, you kind of seen it all because like it's rocks and craters. Nothing else really to it, but compared to Mars, if you're looking for the adventure of a lifetime, Mars is probably the number one destination at this point in time. Cause like you have the ice caps, you get to see ice caps on a different world, what that's like. A sunset is completely different from like an outer space sunset. So it's like, I believe from pictures, it's like a blue sunset. So that might be actually cool to witness being able to do that. And just think about all the different mountain terrains and valleys and, and, crevices that you may come across on mars like there's always an adventure out there and for the moon i just don't see that there really it's out there you really don't are you serious it's just like there's so many craters on the moon it's like you go into a valley and you come out there's not 
from what I've seen on the moon or images, I don't really see too many mountains that you would want to climb. I can I can understand that, but mm-hmm. I guess I don't know. I just find it surprising. I don't see it that way at all. I just would be dumbfounded that I'm actually looking at the earth from far away and on a surf, just, it wouldn't, I wouldn't even care what the terrain was. I just, the fact that I am on a different surface elsewhere in the solar system would blow my mind. And you happen, thank goodness you're the astronaut who wants to go to Mars. (laughs) I'll sign you up for that mission and I'll relax and nervously watch as you travel to Mars for however many years it would take. I definitely think journey. that. Yeah. What is it? Eight months, I think. Yeah. Biggest commute of your life, but you only <laughs> got to do it once or twice, maybe. No. Yeah. Sooner I, or later, instead of around the world in eighty days, they'll have around the solar system in eighty years. <laughs> just live your life in the spaceship. You just get like slapped in as a child. It's like, all right, <laughs> going around the solar system. Don't die. <laughs> Don't die. <laughs> All right, any, any other questions to that between those two planets? Well, I should say two celestial bodies, I should say, not planets. <laughs> I think the moon, that is the one, like what Luke was saying, like being able to look up at the, on the Earth, I think that is the one huge advantage the moon has is that you still feel that connection to Earth and you could still see our lo- the little marble we live on from where you are. With the Mars, like you are, you're connected, but you're only connected by the lifeline of just radar communication. When the moon, you can really still feel that human connection to our little blue marble. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, well any so- uh, any other closing remarks to this fantastic seventh and a half episode? I want to stop talking about. Uh, I want to start talking about BSOI rockets, man. I'm so excited to go back to school. Honestly, I can't believe I'm saying that. When I was a little kid, I would have you wouldn't catch me dead saying something like that. But I am beyond excited to get back to Rocketry Club. Beyond excited. I think we should start talking about going to Jupiter. Come on, kids. Mars is a low-hanging fruit. Let's Holy. go to Jupiter. Let's try to live on a planet where there's no solid ground. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I'll maybe see. maybe my idea of swimming there would work then. Yeah. It could be like Cloud City from then Star Wars. You could take the ball of water and dip it into Jupiter. And you just see like a giant hole where the water was. <laughs> <laughs> or the clouds are just like a different color because it's just so much water. <laughs> there you go. I just imagine we start saying, they look up in the sky, why is Jupiter disappearing? Oh yeah, NASA shut a giant thing of water into it. That would be badass. Becomes the new water planet. <laughs> yeah, just a huge sphere of water. That would be so cool. What would that even look like? Oh, well, I guess Interstellar gave us that result. What? 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 What do you mean? Like, if you go, if the mo- the movie Interstellar had that water planet, and like there was just like oh, I remember, uh, yeah, yeah, a giant wave comes through at random points. I don't understand it, but like it happened. <laughs> Listen, Interstellar has some truly incredible science, and then I, I don't I don't know. It's like brilliant and also completely ridiculous at the same time. Yeah, see that that planet only had a depth of maybe a couple feet though. I'm talking like the about whole a planet that is yeah. only water. It's just a sphere of water. 
I mean, I feel like it'd be theoretically possible because surface tension, if it had a good amount, it would naturally create a sphere. Yeah. Yeah. And if you had enough of it, maybe it would have enough for a gravitational field to kind of maintain its own body. We'll start building something. What would you call it? Water world, like the old movie. Water world. (laughs) I'd call it... I call it Soak City. You guys ever been to? <laughs> you guys ever been to Cedar Point? Yeah. Yeah, Soak City for sure. A little Amish. What about, what about the SpongeBob episode? Because like, as you worked on it, no, it started Soak City, and then by the end of its lifespan, it would be the dirty bubble from SpongeBob because <laughs> it, there would be no way to clean it. It's probably the first sign of life would be like algae. Oh, man. Oh, that thing would be a giant algae bloom. Nothing but actually with the sun? No. I feel like well, it depends how far it is. Because if it's far away from the sun, it would just become a block of ice. I want yeah. sharks. Sharks have to be in it for sure. So it would probably have to be at the same location as Earth or maybe Mars, but probably at least in those two locations. I'd be well. Would it freeze and cool? Because oh no, it'd be the habitable zone. Oh, all right, water world. (laughs) (laughs) Got cut out. Yeah. So I don't know what you guys ended up saying because like there was like a long awkward pause for me. We were talking more about water world, the NBA bubble in space. (laughs) Luke was Luke was apologizing, but I just I just told him this is this is the content we need, kids. This is. This is truly the future of space exploration. I completely agree. Cause like, think about it. fantasy is the best thing to get inspiration started. So we inspire people to do something amazing. I think, I think that's worth it. Well said, well said. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll try and spread my idea of Waterworld then. Go for it. I'll, I fully support it. I can't fund <laughs> it cause I don't have the capital, but I fully support it. I fully agree. I mean, I always love like you hear about those old like those old ideas of what like space exploration would be like. And so like many of them don't exactly work. It's like the idea of like shooting just a giant gun to get us into space. But some of the ideas like the dinosphere, they're like, it was science fiction, fiction content bleh, initially. And nowadays they're like, you know, that would actually kind of work. What would like, what would we have to do for that to actually be applied in real life? Dinosphere. That is a, I'm going to double check that I spelled that right. It's basically a giant solar, set of solar panels around the sun. I'm going to double check that I spelled that what? right. What? No, that's the dinosphere. I'm thinking of something else. Why would we want to do that? Control how much sunlight you get. <laughs> what is it called? What is a Dyson Dyson sphere? Okay. Actually, never what mind. That makes a lot of sense. You really probably you probably don't need. No. I don't know. I'm gonna be thinking too hard about that. I got Waterworld to deal with. I don't need Dyson sphere as well. Just think of it as another future part of humanity's exploration of the stars. <laughs> We'll have our giant circle of water and then our giant solar panel things surrounding the sun. You probably get a ton of energy from that. We should build a, we should just build a mechanical planet. So many planets to be built in so little time. 
so little time. I think you're just gonna start somewhere. You gotta start with a core. Like for a mech world, I feel like it would just be a giant furnace that would just fuel itself. We wouldn't need it need a furnace because we have the Dyson sphere. Oh yeah. That is it true. It would just transmit it use Tesla's like a wireless transmission of power. There you go. So we just have that and then we have our Death Star and that's what we live on. Just Death I kinda wanna make it like a steampunk world, you know, a lot of steam, a lot of factory smoke. Very anti global warming basically. But that wouldn't work. Well there's out no too global well. warming because well, no, it's, it's a steel planet. It's a steel planet. <laughs> Boy, it wouldn't be anti-global warming. It would be pro-global warming because it's all the stuff that creates global <laughs> true, warming. True, true, true. <laughs> oh, man. All right. This is a rabbit hole we've gone down for quite a while. Bro. Productive. Okay. Do you want to close it out? Do we, like, um, put on the theme song? <laughs> Do we have a theme song? It's, it's Fly Me to the Moon, but it's like the jazzy version, you know? Uh, ooh, okay. well, Fly Me to the Moon's already jazzy. You know, no, but like I think Harrison created it, and we've used it okay. from, I guess, from episode two to onwards. It's been there. So you know, it's it's kind of it's it's been you know this podcast's theme song for the most part. But you know, we're always open up to new intro music to test it out, see what people think about it. But you know, uh, we got to keep so that then we're stuck okay. With it. <laughs> okay. No, right. I just want to say, I'm, for anyone listening, I'm excited to come back, and I can't wait to see y'all. For anyone listening, wash your hands, wear a mask, be safe, kids. The Rona is going to get you. Those are very amazing marks because those are very important at this point in time. I want to say the same things, you know, wear your mask, wash your hands, keep social distancing six feet apart. I know it's hard, but it's the only way for us to get through this virus and, you know, be able to go back, have sporting events and try to make life normal again. I would also like to thank our sponsors that support BSLI each and every day and all the fantastic stuff that you do for space and just venture out and inspire young minds. So keep up the great work sponsors and BSLI will do their part. And remember guys, get ready for the fall semester, work hard, stay diligent, talk to your friends and get through this. And remember guys, go Bucks.